Hey everyone, welcome to Wire Talks, the Wire podcast where we discuss all things crypto. So whether you're a veteran or a crypto noob, we're all learning together. This is your host, Thomas Correa. Still work here at Wire in 2019, Q1-ish. <laughs> I'm very excited today to host a very special episode of Wire Talks. We're actually on the road today. First time we're leaving the recording studio, actually. And we are at ETH Denver, where the energy is palpable. Well, not exactly at 8.30 a.m. when we're actually recording the show, but last night and the hackers are waking up and the energy is extremely palpable when they do. The venue itself sets the stage for the topic of discussion today, which is user experience and crypto adoption. Where are we at? What are we proud of having accomplished? How how do we actually move this market beyond uh, crypto heads? How do we target mom and pop, right? I'm standing on the shoulders of giants today. I'm joined by an all-star guest, a lineup. We have Eric Voorhees, founder and CEO of Shapeshift. Eric, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. We have Taylor Monahan, founder and CEO of MyCrypto. Taylor, welcome to the show. Hi. Happy to be here. Thank you. And last but not least, Michael Dunworth, co-founder and CEO of Wire. Mike, welcome. What's up? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> usually I... Uh, he usually gives me a surf for still working at Wire. He's like, ugh, I'm here with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> usually there's a little bit of shade on Mike, but... Uh, a little bit more of a professional setting today, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll be nice to you, Mike. Thank you. Well, thanks again all for joining. Before we lay down our thoughts on expanding the crypto market and thoughts on crypto adoption, let's kick off with backgrounds. For those in the audience that don't know our guests, and let's talk about how you got into crypto very briefly and, and what your company uh, is actually working on. Uh, let's start with Eric. Sure. Yeah, I run Shapeshifts. I've been in the, the crypto world since it was just the Bitcoin world back in 2011. And uh, I've been through a lot of these ups and downs and seen the the rise and fall of this industry. And um, I've just been very proud to watch it unfold and achieve a lot of the potential that we were dreaming about, you know, eight years ago. So uh, Shapeshift is a digital asset exchange. We're non-custodial, so we allow people to convert one kind of digital asset into another without taking custody, which is something near and dear to my heart. And uh, we're here at this event showing off our new platform. So the new Shapeshift is in private beta as of yesterday. So we're signing people up here and showing them um, what we've been working on over the last 14 months. Yeah, Eric is a fantastic voice in the community. He's been in the community for a very long time. He runs this blog called Money and State. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I was perusing it the other day. Eric has been literally evangelizing Bitcoin for good reasons since 2011, right? Since I found it. Yeah. Yeah. So I wish I I stumbled on that blog post earlier. (laughs) So Taylor, how about yourself? Uh, Hi, I'm Taylor. I run MyCrypto. MyCrypto allows you to easily interact with mainly the Ethereum blockchain. We're also non-custodial, meaning that our interface is, is sort of like a portal to the blockchain. It allows you to directly interact with the blockchain, but we are not handling your money, holding your money, sending your money for you. We're empowering individuals to actually do that themselves. I've been in this space since... I don't know, the first Bitcoin bull run, I guess. So like 2012, 2013, I watched it go up. Uh, I watched it all come crashing down. And I think that Ethereum really sort of like piqued my interest and and really sucked me down that rabbit hole. I'm definitely more focused on Ethereum than the other cryptos, but anything that we can do to make this space more accessible and more usable, I'm, I'm on board with. 
Taylor is one of the first Ethereum entrepreneurs, right? Obviously, when a new blockchain comes to fruition, the first thing you want to build is some sort of interface, some sort of way to actually view what's going on on that blockchain and access it. So Taylor was very crucial at my Ether wallet, and then now is running my crypto. So it's very much a pleasure to have Taylor on the show. Mike, a little bit about yourself. Yep. Uh, Mike Dunworth, I run Wire, so I work with you. We specialize in basically doing all the hard yards in terms of fiat to crypto. So a lot of people focus on building cool applications. We want to help them basically reach the largest total addressable market possible. So, you know, the idea is that every developer here, for example, they're not going to become experts on how to get a bank account, how to find out where they sit in the regulatory landscape. We want to basically displace all that and uh, just go, you know, a couple of lines of code and they're on their way. So, Yeah, Mike um, has been in the space since 2013. The company originally named Snapcard. We're a Bitcoin merchant processor, pivoted to cross-border payments, and then n- now we what have What didn't we pivot to? Exactly. <laughs> Mike survive. Mike to any entrepreneur, that's the, the key with this whole industry, I think. Be the cockroach, just survive. Be the cockroach, indeed. Okay, great. So let's talk about the current state of crypto in your view. What have we accomplished already? And I, I'd like to open it up really as a discussion. So if you guys are butting into each other, that's totally fine. I, I don't want to just go like one by one. But let's have uh, Mike, why don't you kick it off? What do you think about crypto today? What are you proud that we've accomplished already in, in the terms of UX and adoption? I, I think it's come a huge way. Just like there's a billion and one tools out there. Everyone, There's a lot of transparency in what's going on in terms of like actually seeing like what's happening on a contract or just actually viewing how much data is you know being moved around the blockchain so all the block explorers from 2013 where it was originally it was always these proxy band-aid things like the first application that we did not shilling by the way but actually just genuinely it's gone from these weird random kind of browser extension hack jobs to now you've got debit cards that are automatically linked to a crypto wallet. You've got seamless trading, like trustless trading between different assets. You've got way more efficient security setups. I think it's good. I like that. The biggest thing I like is that everyone is making everyone really, really conscious of owning and controlling their own shit, period. So like non-custodial, like being conscious of security. It's really important. I think we haven't had that yet. So, like, mm-hmm. Facebook didn't teach me that shit. So, part of my language. <laughs> so, la- last night, I took an Uber home because I was responsible. And um, I was wearing a unicorn horn. Because yeah. I was responsible. Because I was being <laughs> responsible. Well, a unicorn is sort of a, a symbol of, of the Ethereum community in many ways. So, the, la- the lady driver, she asked me, you know, what I was doing. And I said, oh, I was at a conference. And I realized with the unicorn horn, she was probably hesitant to pry further into what kind of conference I was at but she said what what kind of conference and I said well have you heard of have you heard of Bitcoin and she said yeah and I said have you heard of Ethereum and she said yeah and she was just ready for me to tell her more about like the Ethereum conference that I had been at and this is just a random driver in an Uber and I think probably five out of the last five Uber drivers that I've had a similar conversation with have all known they've all been somewhat familiar with Bitcoin at least that's incredible. I mean, we, we're not at mass adoption in usage, but at least in the US, we are at mass awareness. Almost everyone has heard about this stuff in one way or another, not always in a good way, but at least people know this word Bitcoin and I don't have to explain what that means to an average person. I think just that kind of awareness is a huge accomplishment for this industry. 
Yeah, I have to agree. And and like you said, it's not always in a good light, but it definitely the door is open and it's much more open than it was like when I entered the space in 2012, 2013. I feel like we have all these sort of disparate pieces that are sort of floating around in the ecosystem and the awareness and and especially on a global layer. Um there's there's very disparate pieces. And I think in our job in the next couple of years is going to be how do we get all these pieces connected in a really seamless and fluid way? How do we make these things easier to interact with? And also, how do we sort of change the maybe more negative narrative that's always sort of like stuck on on cryptocurrencies? And how do we transform that into a positive narrative, but also like that you know, the the concepts that attracted us, probably all of us sitting here, how do we make that the points that are the stickiest rather than the hacks and the scams and, and the drugs and, you know, those types of things? Mm-hmm. In relation to the internet, this is how I kind of think about it. It all started out with hackers that are interacting with computers at the command line level, right? There's no actual interfaces. And that's where crypto was. I think, you know, I haven't been around the space actively at the time, but probably from like 2009 to 2012, and and even still people are doing that, right? And so we've made strides in, in terms of UX, but as crypto heads, we're still used to doing things like copy pasting addresses, leaving a little bit of Ethereum to pay for uh, <laughs> gas uh, in your wallet, writing down seed phrases, right? So we may not get bothered by all this, but for a new entrant, this is this is basically Chinese, right? What are we still doing that makes you guys kind of cringe? Like, oh man, I can't believe we're still doing this. How come we haven't solved this yet for the masses? One of the things, okay, so people talk about DAP browsers and stuff, right? And like, you know, crypto and daily active users and all this kind of shit. For me, I'm like, if you're comparing it to the internet, right? So we did, we were comparing it to the internet in this example. You've got the internet and then you've got, let's say, blockchain as a broader sense and that transfers value. The internet transfers information. I mean, back in the day, people would go to a library and they'd sit there and read books all day. They consume information. So eyeballs, like at time on site, all these kind of metrics that indicate success. People are trying to transport those into crypto. I don't know the last time I went to a bank and sat in there and looked around, read brochures and just sort of like saw what they had on offer. I feel like people need to measure it and not on a daily active user basis and actually on the amount of value being moved around. And I think like this mentality kind of, it's not just like stuff the internet into like this new thing and, you know, leave it be. So it's very transactional. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my <laughs> one of my investors basically like sat down with me and we're we're going really, really deep. But he said, So if you're gonna be sort of like this bank of the future, you know, I don't use my banking application that much. Like maybe once a month, and I go into my bank maybe once every six months. So what's your plan? (laughs) And I was like, oh, crap, because it's true. Like if we are looking at uh, our product as this way to hold your money, interact with your money, spend your money, send it to your friends, whatever. Yeah. How often do you actually log in to your banking application and what is valuable? And like for me, when I think about my relationship with my banks or any of the finance tools that I use, the less 
often I use it, the better. And so for me as as an entrepreneur and creator of this product, I have to be like, okay, how do I make this valuable on that level? But also how can I add value on other levels that may get people to be more engaged, more interested in this ecosystem? How can, I use this word like trigger, but not in like the negative way. Like how do I trigger people to explore other little, the micro ecosystems within Ethereum or these tokens? How do I get people interested in actually using these DeFi protocols, what responsibility do we have to educate people, not just about their security, but also about the possibilities of the tokens and the protocols and the things they can use on the Ethereum blockchain. So it really like that conversation had to just completely shift my thinking because yeah, like I don't really want to be a bank of the future in that sense. Like I want to be much, much more and I want to add value on multiple layers, not just this weird banking thing. Part of the problem is that a lot of the early crypto projects have been building infrastructure. So like wallets and exchanges are great examples of that early infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And those in and of themselves are not use cases. Those are are means of enabling the use cases that will come later. So similarly, like if you took, you know, an agrarian society that didn't have banks and then someone came up with the idea of a bank, and people would be very skeptical, like, okay, but what's the use case for that? You're just going to like hold money for people, but they could hold it themselves. What are you, what are you doing? And it's not really that first infrastructure layer that's super exciting. That's what enables the really exciting stuff to get built on top of that. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see a little bit of it. I think some of these dApps are emerging that are pretty fun. Some of these collectible games, I think, are going to catch on in a, in a huge way. And some of these zero-trust derivative products in the financial industry are going to be very cool. But those are what people will get excited about. And the infrastructure providers are, are going to be the ones that enabled that to happen, but might often take a backseat in terms of the excitement and enthusiasm from a observer's perspective. We'll keep diving a little bit deeper about the incremental steps and these killer applications for crypto. But before that, I always like to start off by defining the goal, right? What does success actually look like for crypto? The abolition of fiat currency, from my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a it's a technology that affects every single vertical. Is the dream here to saturate every vertical with blockchain technology, replace servers with blockchains, replace anything that's a, if a payment it's needed, mechanism for sure? Yeah. But I think I think like fundamentally, like the thing that you know the problem with if we're talking about value transfer and you know finance and all that sort of stuff. The end goal for that is accessibility. So if you look at right now, everyone can't build their own Western Union because it costs a lot of money to get licenses. You can't build a bank because it costs a lot of money to do that. What does the market look like if everyone can spin up a bank for 20 bucks and you get this hyper-competitive market that can reach all over the globe? I mean, accessibility is like this gold, like North Star in my opinion. So every single person around the planet should have access to the most equal set of tools that we all do like mm-hmm. we take we're like yeah wells fargo is not that bad it's like yeah wells fargo is not whatever but old mate in the middle of like nigeria or mm-hmm. nairobi wherever you are like they don't have a robin hood to log into but i don't know i think like accessibility that's the end game for me mm-hmm. and there is a venue for that right uh we've discussed this before mike there has been like this quantum leap in emerging markets where they've skipped over certain technologies, but everyone has an Android phone and, you know, some sort of data plan, right? So there's a venue for all of this. A good metric will be when people are able to transact with each other as easily as they're able to communicate with each other. 
right? Mm -hmm. So right now I can send an email or I could do a video call or a, a Skype with anyone in the world very easily from my phone or my computer. Borders don't really matter. There's almost no cost to doing it. And no one can really censor me or stop me from doing it. Not without great difficulty. When transactions and financial interaction become that easy and that effortless and that accessible around the world, then I think crypto has won. Yeah. And I just have to say that I'm not really of the mindset that the end goal is to like remove all banks or remove all government from the picture. But I think that a lot of times we forget that if we build these tools that empower individuals and that break down these barriers and that break down the borders, that in itself will force the massive centralized institutions to change their ways. And so it's kind of like a weird competition thing where if you have a ton of competing ways of doing something like accessing your money or sending your money, in effect, the centralized powers will have to shift their way. And I don't think that banks will ever completely disappear. I don't think that the government will ever significantly lose power. But... <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm playing the long game here. <laughs> well, and I respect Eric's opinion I, no, no, so no, much. No. And it's like, uh, sorry, they won't, sorry, they will still have power. That's yeah, what it's... No, it's... Um, it's fair. Like, I mean, people still get their newspaper thrown on their front porch. You know, and yes. I mean, I stopped doing it last week, um, but, but you know what I mean? Like it still happens. Like banks will probably still exist, I'd say. Just well, how they'll, you change. Got- they'll change. They'll, they'll change. change. Yeah. Adapt or die, basically. Yeah. Right. Like- because if an individual has a choice between a bank who's, you know, screwing them left, right and center and this other blockchain technology or cryptocurrency or something of that nature that they can completely control themselves and do themselves, they don't need permission from anyone to do so the banks will have to shift their way. And I think in the same light, there's a lot of services, especially around like personal information and personal data that will also be forced to shift because if the mass users start to understand how valuable this information is and how valuable their money is and how much they're sacrificing when they give it to these centralized parties. The and mob then, is fickle yeah. and they, they just, they turn on companies and it's like, get with the times or we're out of here. Like, right. I mean, you see, like, I suppose like a bridge almost in the banking sector would be, it happens a lot in Europe and now it's coming a lot more to the US, would be challenger banks. So N26, Monzo, Revolut, all these types where you got a debit card, they've got some sort of savings rate, they've made it all much more friendly. It speaks to that audience way better. I mean, it's not, hey, you know, totally democratized, but it's a more, I speak your language, Mr. You know, young person that's going to have a very loud social <laughs> yeah. opinion. I think the commonality that I'm, that I'm hearing here is right now, people only have one choice, right? For choosing a financial system, they can only pick government-backed, fiat-based, counterparty risk baked in systems. And there needs to be a healthy competition for a healthy competition. System. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's not an all or none thing. But it's just let's let's get one more player in that in that horse race. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. If, if fiat currency can compete in an open marketplace and people prefer to use government coin that can be printed forever and controlled by them, and people prefer that in an open marketplace, then then cool, mm. then fine. But we haven't had an open marketplace in part because people have not been able to build tools and technologies to innovate on financial services. Mm-hmm. So the whole crypto experiment is really about giving the world this ability to build financial applications and financial services, and then to just see what comes of it and, you know, may the best system win. 
It's actually interesting. So I don't know how closely you guys are following the decentralized finance space, aka DeFi, that's、uh, popping up on Ethereum. It's this family of protocols and DApps that are looking like an alternative financial system, right? And I'm a I'm a really big a fan of this. I'm thinking about actually getting it tattooed across my back. Just, just a big old DeFi, yeah. Next to the Ethereum logo, you got tattooed. <laughs> It's like that big Ryan Sheckler tattoo. You know what I'm talking.、Oh, anyway, you do you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, from a UX perspective, I would actually argue DeFi is already making strides on the UX of traditional banking systems. In a traditional bank, you literally have to go to a branch to set up an account. It's all very like. You know, you got to know someone. You got to call customer service. There's no actual way of like getting the investment products you'd like. Like no one. You have to write stuff on paper. Yeah, literally. That's what fax, I was like. Fax machines. <laughs> yeah. You know. So I, I would think like DeFi has already beaten traditional finance and strides of UX. What What's missing here? You know, why aren't people just like picking that up and running with it? What's not available in DeFi, and、uh, why hasn't it just like spread as quickly as I'd like? The onboarding is hard. So if you're if you're used to Ethereum and you understand how to use all those Ethereum systems, and you see some of these new DeFi projects, they appear easy. They have great UX, and you can naturally start using them pretty easily. But most people aren't even at that first step yet. Most people have not ever sent Ethereum. They don't understand how to get into that, or what it is, or what these wallets mean. They don't have that like basic stuff done first.、Mm-hmm. Um, so that onboarding of people from the traditional financial world into crypto is always the biggest. Headache, and you guys at Wire. I mean, you—that's the whole problem you're solving—is helping people, you know, get that leap and go go across that bridge. Not chilling, but thank you. I agree. I, I totally <laughs> think it. So, like, one of the really cool things was I saw someone basically take. They built a whole year, a whole experience around it, and they basically said, "Money from your bank into a CDP, draw down on the CDP, and then withdraw the excess back into your bank account, but you're still holding." A long position in some of your assets, and it was relatively. It was like, hey, do you want to buy one Ethereum token? Great, there's one Ethereum token which you still own, and here's your change, which is seventy percent of what you just put in, or whatever it was. That was kind of cool. We're getting there. It's a grind, but I think everyone's working really hard on it. I think people are making leaps.、Mm-hmm. The、uh, w- what starts to excite me a lot is、um, think about like automated capital allocation. So, in the fiat world, a lot of capital allocation happens. Sort of in an analog or a manual way, either human intervention making some decisions, or maybe computer systems being involved, but humans needing to help translate between one system or another, or one country or another. And there's borders everywhere, and、um, gatekeepers everywhere, and there's not really a free and open and automated flow of capital to good uses, or it's it's minimized. And in crypto, you can have a whole. Set of algorithms and systems that move capital from people who have it and want to earn a rate on that passive capital to projects and people that that want it, right? So that can happen behind the scenes in a lot of ways in an automated way, getting rid of lots of the middlemen and and making the entire capital allocation process of mankind more efficient. By doing that, you increase the wealth of the entire planet, and you know that that's something that'll be good for for everyone, and that's something that you can only do with programmable money. And、that's sort of what you guys are, like. If I think about that, because it's sort of like a one and one makes three. Like you've got fifty or eighty, let's say sixty percent of the planet online and stuff like that, participating in this sort of developed world economy. What happens when everyone comes together? It's like you know, it's not going to be oh wow, cool, welcome to the market. It's like oh, 
awesome. There's all these sort of new applications, new channels for trade and all this sort of stuff. But like in the re, are you talking about like, like a portfolio rebalancing? I'm talking about more than that. I'm more like about- as in earth rebalancing, kind of like <laughs> moving wealth around different countries. Yeah. Like when you have cash in the bank, which is not actually in the bank, but they say it's in the bank. On the database. Mm-hmm. On the database. Uh, and the bank is basically making some decisions on what to do with that capital, but it's a very manual process. And it's generally restricted to certain territories or certain types of investing. There's lots of walls everywhere. What if your money upon arrival in your possession was immediately redeployed, not to your bank's usage through their manual means, but to any purpose or anything that an algorithm anywhere in the world found a use for? It increases the scope and the extent of the market, which means that that on average, the return that you would get at any given risk rate would be higher. And that's where that one plus one equals three comes from. That's where the pie actually grows and wealth is actually created from moving capital and resources around more efficiently. That's what I was thinking like at a very, very small scale. But if I'm using, let's say, my crypto or something... And as this, like, as you guys become more of a portal, there's like a, let's say compound finance where it's like, hey, all your stuff's secure. You're not going to come back to me for another month to check on your money or something. Do you want some passive yield there? We're not taking a clip. It's not like, do you know, I mean, yeah, you, it's, exactly. Cause no, that's what banks do, right? They just build assets under management. We'll give you a kickback. Right. And that's what, so if you consider my crypto sort of this bank of the future, you know, the biggest difference between a traditional bank and my crypto besides like everything is <laughs> is the fact that you're holding your own money. <laughs> you're holding your own money, but it's just sitting there, right? It's not doing anything. It's not going anywhere else. You're not gaining any interest. Um, it, literally nothing's happening. You're literally just holding it. And so when I talk about like empowering people to do things or triggering people to interact with these protocols on a much grander level, it's like Dharma and it's compound. You know, how can we inspire people to not literally just hold their money and have it be stagnant in their wallet? How can we take this money and get it somewhere else where it can be more useful and in turn, you know, generate a little bit of interest or revenue for the end user. Like literally be your own bank. Like banks aren't just holding money. Banks are putting that money to work to make more money. Like I think that's actually interesting. Sorry. A a good example of this might be um, take our friend uh, Nuril Rabini. Mm -hmm. Right. So he wants to short crypto because it's a big scam. And if you have a bunch of Ether sitting in, in your My Crypto wallet, it should, in a perfect efficient world, it should be lent out to Nuriel, who would his own apartment in New York would be tokenized and he might use that as collateral. So it would go into a smart contract where there's no default risk because if he doesn't pay back the, the ether, then his uh, the deed to his house, the and the deed to his house. Yep. Right. So in other words, you can get a zero risk or extremely low risk loan of the ether out to Nuriel who can short it. And he's going to pay some amount of interest for the privilege of shorting it. You're earning a return on your ether. Ultimately, Nuriel will be bankrupted by the short position that he has. So it's a win-win for everyone. And that kind of thing should be happening in the background across all financial systems all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what will happen, you know, 20 years from now. But these are the tools that are getting built to enable that. Right. And that's why I talk about sort of like these very disparate pieces that are there's huge like gaps and leaps that both uh, developers and 
uh, even like researchers and then users have to make in order to go from their current fiat currency to holding crypto to then actually using the crypto. And that's like one of the biggest sort of issues I'm seeing in the short term is how do we get people to actually be using these systems on a daily basis? You and, know, and using doesn't just mean Starbucks, using like we're just talking about. Right. Yeah, people yeah. always think like, oh, I can't buy it at Starbucks. I can't buy it. No. It's like, <laughs> good for you, man. But it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, putting it to work, like if it's earning interest yeah. or it's in a more efficient market, that's opening yeah. people's minds a bit more, right? Yeah. Right. And that's what I want to do. You know, and what we're focused on with our product is like, I want to show all of these holders who bought probably in 2017 and are, you know, sitting here just hurting right now that look, there's more than just speculating. There's more than getting rich quick. This is a part of a much bigger picture. And, you know, instead of just checking your balance and crying, let's put your money to work. Let's, you know, help you understand the potential of these decentralized systems and these DeFi protocols. Let's help you you know, actually do something useful. And also I want people to start to understand how these pieces fit together. And I saw a really interesting tweet a while back where it was like some something, something uh, millennials buying stocks. Wait, I can't buy a fraction of a stock. And it's like this whole concept that, you know, just like the older generation looks at Bitcoin is like, wait, I can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. Millennials are kind of, you know, getting into these financial services or starting to understand trading and and the markets and stuff because of Bitcoin. And it's flipping everything on its head. And we should try to do that with more than just the speculation and, and sort of the market. We should do that with everything. And if we can get people to understand on a much grander level or a much more personal level, you know, how these systems work and why lending is valuable to, to the entire world economy, then I think we'll be really, really successful. I think the wallets, especially my crypto, are in a really interesting space because like you mentioned, it's the narrative now is about being a, your own bank, right? Having this financial services firm in your pocket. So on the B2B side, all of the wallets, I think, you know, they're integrating Compound and Dharma and, you know, Xerox Instant, so on and so forth. But that's still all crypto assets, right? I think what's missing here is bringing in traditional assets, traditional investments into the wallets and having that capability right there. So going back to Eric's example of uh, Nerubi shorting using his own tokenized house, like that's that's not there yet. Thanks for the but free house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if we were able to tokenize his house, then maybe, you know, he could also take out a mortgage for that same house on my crypto, right? Mm-hmm. So those... Uh, yeah, a lot of this gets messed up from regulations. Right. Exactly. So a lot of the real world assets, once you tokenize them, they become securities or they become digitized commodities, either of which might have all sorts of regulations applied. And then you very quickly start losing the ability to innovate and to experiment and to try stuff. So unfortunately, a lot of the really important use cases of crypto is ironically held back by the fact that people will be thrown in a cage if they try to experiment with that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. And and one of the things just like if you think about like people porting over so houses is a very like once you're at a point where your title deed is on chain or whatever and you really relinquish ownership if X conditions become true or whatever. Until then, I mean, I think it's really interesting when you think about like, you know, Robinhood. Robinhood's got a bunch of licenses, they're doing really cool stuff for this market, but what about all the exposure to other markets? So if you've just got a price ticker that's like proxying in a tokenized version of Apple stock, people talk about like, oh, well, who owns the underlying security of it and stuff? 
underlying security. I don't know the last time that as an Apple stockholder that I went to the annual general meeting and said, hey, uh, Tim, I'm not actually happy with the way that you expanded into the APAC region with iPad sales. I'm going to vote against that. Like the underlying votes that come with a lot of these securities in this sense of stocks specifically, I feel like there's a good potential bridge to knock on the door of regulation and be like, you know what I mean? Or am I just taking crazy pills? (laughs) Most likely the latter. I don't disagree with you, by the way. I think it's 100% correct, but I think like this gradually taking more and more rope in the conversation as that voice gets louder from the masses, they're not going to be able to hold. Well, and that's, I think one of the things that excites me more about these sort of like NFTs or collectibles is not, I don't, I just don't understand the kiddies portion of it. Like, I just don't. It just doesn't the entertain me. Part? Or like any of the, like the gamified stuff. Like, it, that doesn't interest me. But what does interest me is that if we can really nail these mechanisms of non-fungible tokens and yeah sure now they can represent this super special kitty with a special hairdo or whatever if we can really nail that meaning the user experience meaning ownership meaning if certain conditions are met that then the ownership is transferred if we can really nail all of that with kitties, it's actually quite easy to make the leap to real world assets. And I think that's one way that we can kind of get around the regulation in the short term is, you know, do it with these valueless things that everyone and the government goes, oh, that's just a fad. <laughs> Those silly kids on the Wolf internet with their cats again. Kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then once you really figure out how that works, you know, then you just say, oh, by the way, it's actually house now. Um, <laughs> Although it is illegal to sell a crypto kitty in New York State without a bit license. That yeah, would technically well, be illegal. Yeah. And and just piggy- uh, piggybacking off of Eric's point. So, Thomas, just underlining that point, <laughs> no more crypto kitties. In- it's true, though. Like, by definition, isn't that crazy? Oh, the That's whole thing is. is, the whole thing is, is... You know, every time we think of something that, you know, the potential of something or what something that we could do or want to do or what if we did this. Yeah, my lawyer is like, ah, ah. <laughs> right. Uh, but well, that's not you, in the I room mean, right now. You know my lawyer. <laughs> uh. Are you sure, Taylor? Are you, but you know? We need entrepreneurs like yourself to push those boundaries, you know, go into the gray areas and be there because regulators aren't going to be like thinking about crypto kitties in New York, right? Or, or anything in New York. So you need to have that presence there so you can push those boundaries or otherwise who else is going to do it? They're not going to wake up one day and say they need to fix crypto regulations. They have all sorts of other shit going on, right? I agree. And I I mean, so fintech is not like people, it's not that people haven't figured out how to make a really nice user experience. People are very talented and they've learned a lot from the internet, but it's very hard when regulation costs so much. So that is, how do you just get regulation look out of the picture in the picture whatever it is just make it easier because in fintech it's like regulatory clarity is like the deadliest weapon to an entrepreneur that's like pushing forward the moment they know that they can pour all their chips in the table and not be like shit am i going to jail tomorrow or something good example of this i think you know a lot of people push back on the aml and kyc stuff i get it i 100 do but if i'm looking at the price of Bitcoin and I have a vested interest in the growth of the economy of Bitcoin and crypto and all that stuff. Look pre and post C-SPAN, MSB kind of registration or whatever in 2013. Before it, the government said, 
okay, cool, guys, you've got to register as an MSB or specific custodial exchanges. Well, venture capital is piled on and then you just see this like the bull run literally started the day after basically. Mm-hmm. So there's goods and bads. Yeah, that's, that's a tricky correlation issue, right? I mean, like <laughs> crypto also had its greatest rally ever after the election of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Is that because he was a great person He's- for crypto? Probably not. <laughs> Bad Cri- person for fiat. Crypto, crypto in general is going to keep rising over the long yes. term, right? So you can find any fact in the world and say, after this, crypto went up. Well, there's definitely a fact that I, I agree with you. I know what you mean. But without a doubt, the resources did get much more aggressively deployed. So venture yeah. capital and stuff, which means it may not, I agree, it probably doesn't mean that it's right, but it definitely gives us more shots on target, basically. You know, like you get you get more chances to try and fail and iterate. And so I suppose... Mm-hmm. So it's really this multi-pronged attack that everyone is making to push crypto adoption forward. Uh, there's all sorts of little components you need to figure out like KYC, AML, identity, liquidity, abstracting away tokens. Like why should you even own uh, 0x tokens if you want to use the 0x protocol when it's like sitting four layers underneath some sort of dApp, right? Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about these little things that people are fighting on to to push crypto forward? Who's doing really great work? How do we actually make progress on this? Not joking, not just saying it because they're here, but I think you guys are doing an awesome job on security because you've just like you know, really highlighted the fact of it. And that's a really good component. I think you guys have pushed a lot of, uh, I mean, I've read tons of stuff uh, that you got you, for the longest time. And I thought Shapeshift was such like an elegant solution to making a lot of trading really simplified for people. Sort of like the original Uniswap, I'd say, almost. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Before it was cool. Uh, I think it's awesome. Sorry, that was just my two cents. Eric, go for it. I mean, someone that needs to be highlighted for doing amazing work right now has to be Caitlin Long, oh. who has like basically done more than probably any other person in all of crypto from a regulatory and legal perspective. She's she's gotten the state of Wyoming to basically be push, you know, almost a dozen bills at this point that are the most progressive and open crypto friendly legislation maybe in the world. Uh, and it stands in stark contrast to to New York and the bit license. So she's she's just been incredible, and I hope that her her model and Wyoming's model will become a good model for um for others. Would you think like Wyoming's looking to be the Delaware C Corp equivalent, like that positioning or something like that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, Wyoming was actually the creator of the LLC. Uh, Delaware created one shortly thereafter, and and it became more popular. I'm not quite sure why, but. Yeah, I mean, Wyoming <laughs> Wyoming realizes that it should, if it wants to grow as an economy, right. you can write something on paper and suddenly attract an entire international industry to consider you further. You know, that's a pretty low cost way to uh, potentially grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited what's happening in Wyoming. And I literally never thought I would say those words ever. <laughs> like, but it's it's amazing. And, and this is, you know, this is how we're going to like push things forward is the anarchist anonymous crypto nerds are going to be pushing forward on one end and the people like Kaylin are going to be pushing on the regulatory end and it's going to take that whole entire spectrum of people everyone from the full anarchists all the way to the actual regulator in order to make this entire thing work really really well and i will say that the one thing that i wish was in this ecosystem more today are those anonymous developers and are those people that hide everything and do amazing things and push the boundaries because 
<laughs> I understand the need for regulation. I understand how to build responsibly. But I do think that if there are more people that were fuck the government, let's just do this mentality, that we would see more progress on some really, really interesting things. I 100%. It's always good to like keep that pulse going because otherwise, I mean, I always think about it like a two steps back, 10 steps forward scenario where it's like, okay, we've got to play ball, which feels like a backward step in the scheme of things, but it actually means we can get to the end step. But I, I like that same thought of like the very core rooted like to the ground roots of it all just being like hey remember what we're doing this for yeah fuck the government yeah okay thank you yeah like that i mean ironically that's that was how america was founded right it was people basically saying that Mm -hmm. back then who were saying okay we deserve the ability to build our own civilization and i think those of us in crypto are trying to carry that torch forward and basically say look we're good people we're not hurting others we're trying to build valuable technology valuable products we see a lot of wrongs in the world and we're just trying to build something to fix it. So please just get out of our way. We don't need a handout. We don't need a subsidy. We don't need we don't need anything from you. We just want you to not throw us in cages for trying to fix a lot of the world's problems. Mm-hmm. And for taking that position, we get vilified by that status quo. But that's okay. I mean, the, these kind of revolutions always cast the rebels as the villain until they're victorious and then they become the hero. Mm-hmm. I'd love to dive into the details, these incremental improvements that people are making in user experience. Taylor, you're actually a really good person to kick this off. I was playing around with ENS on my crypto yesterday. I actually don't know too much about ENS, especially before I uh, tried to uh, to grab myself a tomscoria.eth address. W- what exactly is ENS and how is ENS going to improve the user experience? So the ENS, and there's a lot of similar sort of movements in this ecosystem, but it wants to assign a human readable, human typable name to your otherwise very complex address. And the ENS specifically is built on Ethereum. It's completely decentralized. And it's sort of core, you know, where a lot of the work and the effort has gone so far is this auction mechanism where you, uh, in a completely decentralized way, you have sort of this blind auction, you place a bid, you wait, other people can bid. It's trying to get to the true actual value of a name rather than assigning value externally to a name, et cetera, et cetera. But the end goal is to hopefully stop having these addresses be this thing that holds all of us back. Because if you do have an ENS name, which there are team members of ours that do, and it works, right? So like the other night, we're sitting around, someone bought dinner from Uber Eats or whatever, and they were like, okay, well, I'm going to pay you back and I'll pay you back in ETH. And normally that would require someone opening their computer, copying their address, finding a chat messenger to paste the address, the other person copying the address, pasting it into their wallet, and then sending. And instead, you know, it was just like, oh, I can literally just say, like, taylormonahan.eth or whatever. You know, I can just say it. You can type it into your phone, and that's it. And this is the end goal. There's another one, Eric, maybe you want to speak on it, called FIO that uh, is being developed right now. And this is very similar concept and end goal, but across all the blockchains. And so, you know, these things in terms of adoption, when you think about it, it like feels small. But then when it, you know, you're like, oh, you're just, you're just mapping names to addresses. Cool. In terms of usability, it's like leaps and bounds. 
It's like yeah, asking well, someone to put an IP address in to go to Google.com instead. Like, yeah. we take it for granted using the internet. It's mm-hmm. like, well, get or how well would email have taken off if, if it was using strings like Bitcoin addresses? Yeah. Right? Like, think of your business card, but instead of your email address, <laughs> you have a big string of, of 30 characters on it. The way that, and not to speak poorly of engineers because they build everything <laughs> in the world, but the way that an engineer sees that is they're like, well, that works. Like you can have that string on your business card. Someone can type it in and it works. What's the point of it making it an English readable shorter name? And the point is that humans really benefit from anything that makes their lives a little easier and a little more less prone to, to error. So both from the fact that these name systems make it easier and from the fact that they prevent loss from user error are extremely important. And so, yeah, I, I do want to shill the FIO protocol a little Get bit it. here. Mm-hmm. I mean, FIO is probably the project I'm most excited about this year. Disclaimer, I invested in it because I'm so excited about it. But essentially, it is a name system for all blockchains so that, you know, uh, Eric.Shapeshift, for example, could be a way for anyone to send any kind of crypto on any blockchain to me. And none of those blockchains have to have integrated the protocol for it to work. Only the wallet itself needs to integrate the protocol for that to work. Fio.foundation is the URL. I highly recommend everyone check it out. It's one of those things that seems simple, but I think will be one of the ways that mainstream adoption happens. It is an enabler of normal people using this technology. Awesome. Any comments on ENS or any incremental? You mean you want me to unravel this four-hour conversation that I'm obsessed with? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so bullish on ENS. And for so many reasons, uh, I mean, it's a layup. It's, it's the easiest, like the lowest hanging fruit when it like, you know, risk reward. It's like, oh, you bake that in, but it's like the amount of bang for your buck when everything switches over to ENS. I think it's already happening. Like a lot of people didn't switch over to ENS. It's been around since early 2017, I think, because, you know, we're at ETH Denver. Everyone's using all these developer tools, all these libraries, all this kind of stuff. It wasn't baked in natively to Web3 until early 2018 or like Q2 2018. Since then, it's I am token, MetaMask, Coinbase wallet, TBD, it's everywhere. So it takes time, but um, that's the most exciting thing for me this year, easily. Yeah. One thing I want to bring up while, Mike, you're, you're talking is, of course, fiat on-ramps and taking debit cards and credit cards, zero to crypto kitties. What's like the division the there and how's that going to change the UX? With ENS? Not with ENS. Just, uh, oh, just shill? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, like... We're in crypto winter, right? So everyone, not going to ramble, but everyone needs to make a business and you want as many crypto teams working on as many crypto products as possible to find what sticks. It's a trial and error game in terms of how we're adding value to everyday users. If you want crypto teams to survive, then they need to be able to reach their total addressable market, which is maybe not just the 25 million people that have a crypto wallet with over a $10 balance. Um, You know, you see someone disrupting the supply chain, which is a $400 trillion a second industry or whatever the pitch is on the ICO. And they only take ETH and it's sort of a little uh, counterintuitive. So, I mean, that's that's a motivation on that stuff. And I think a lot of teams are going to start doing that. And I think it's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always uh, joke around that, like, you know, even today, our sort of quote unquote market is people that already have crypto and hold crypto uh, and are like, you know, at least one foot in the door. And we sort of saw this uh, expand a little bit during the ICO era because there were complete noobs that were trying to get in in order to invest in these ICOs and, you know, 
reap the, the massive rewards of the promises of the future and blah 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 but you know I've for got the, bags of rewards <laughs> here, by the way for anyone who wants them <laughs> but you know if, if you if you think about it like I want our market to be anyone in the world and in order to have that be our market I have to give them a way to go directly like via our product directly from whatever currency they currently hold very easily directly into their wallet. And they have to be able to do this securely. They have to be able to do this with confidence. They have to be able to do this on their own without this, like any third party intervention where they can just go bang, bang, bang. And suddenly they're holding ether or they're holding these tokens or using these protocols. It's done. And right now, I think it's still on our knowledge base the how to get in article literally tells people to like go to Coinbase, create a Coinbase account, buy their stuff, wait a couple days, withdraw to their wallet. The amount of steps that it requires, the amount of information that people must sacrifice, the amount of accounts that people have to create, and then the amount of the errors that people can, you know, do, like even just sending from Coinbase to my crypto, that's a big hurdle a huge hurdle. And back during ICO era, when people were doing this, thousands and thousands of people a day, we actually joked around that our support team was like constantly sending people back to Coinbase. Like, no, 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 you're not ready, slow down. And Coinbase was like, no, 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 you can't invest in this ICO BS, like go, go, go. And it was like this tug of war. And the whole time was so painful for me because you know, everything's on fire. We're growing exponentially. We don't have any time to focus on the things that we want to focus on. And these huge holes in the user experience were just becoming more and more flagrant every day. And I was just sitting there going, before the next bull run, I want to solve this. I want people to be able to like arrive at our site and only our site and successfully get their crypto and hold their crypto and do something with their crypto. That's my goal. Uh, without having to go and like create five different accounts in five different places and learn what an address is and send to this address successfully. And, oh, yeah, make sure you actually back up your wallet. <laughs> Don't Otherwise, you're your... never seeing it ever again. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, like all of these concepts are so intimidating and especially up front. You know, when we saw people that really, really wanted to get in on an ICO, the amount of steps that they had to do before they reached that end goal, it's insane. It's days and days. I counted... Uh... One of the things we're doing with ENS, just uh, yeah, on top of that, by the way, I 100% agree. It's 11 steps, step by step by step by step by step to go from crypto to your bank account. For example, mm-hmm. if you wanted to withdraw money, yeah, 11 steps. I'll show you guys after. It's Yeah. And you can't, you know. It's about 10 too many. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's the same way. People trying to get into an ICO. Right. Same, same path back. It's and- exhausting. That's They're like, literally like, shut up and take my money. It's like, go through the 11 steps of my money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then keep track of it all and don't forget any of it and don't lose it. And, You're 100% liable. You know, that address, do, please do not hand type that address. And we would forget <laughs> to put that in some of our articles, you know, because we're so focused on don't get fished, don't get scammed, make sure you back this up, uh, use 2FA, where's that USB drive? And oh yeah, do you still have a printer so you can print out this paper wallet? You know, we would just like not even remember that. Oh, hey, we need to remind people don't hand type your address or you will send it somewhere that you can never get back. And I think that's the biggest sort of the biggest sort of like issue with the the onboarding experience is at a much like bigger level. How the hell is anyone going to be able to 
onboard a user to their DAP experience. Like, let's say we do have, like, say, a decentralized Airbnb, a decentralized Uber, a decentralized anything. They need to onboard people to their own DAP and that own experience and sell people on that own product. But, oh, hey, there's like 18,000 steps that you have to do correctly before you can get the value out of my DAP. I do have to, to say that while the world onboards into this stuff, there's always going to be this margin of difficulty for those people. And so for those of us in the industry, we're going to constantly see that. And we're always going to be like upset with ourselves for not making it easier because we're always going to see the struggling noob. But at the same time, there are now 10 or 20 million people who have been onboarded. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge accomplishment. There are millions of people who do know how to use crypto now. They know what addresses are. They can send between wallets. They're familiar with the terminology. So there has been a great deal of success in, in building an ecosystem that is now, you know, I would say sufficiently large to catch on globally, bigger than, than the populations of some countries. So that's, that's massive. And we got to remember that win. Where do you think we're at? Is it 1994, going back to the internet analogy, 1997, or is it 2002? It, in my eyes, at least, we're, we're past the geeks behind the command line, right? We might be in the browser stage where there's actually like some great UIs and stuff over the blockchain. What, what do you guys think about where we're at in this cycle? All I can say is that people in crypto have been saying that we're in 1994 internet for the last eight years. So something's not quite right there. I think the analogy with the internet is a good one, but not a, not a perfect one. There are certain ways that you can compare the two, but ultimately you should just kind of look at aggregate market cap of the ecosystem, number of users, number of transactions across all blockchains. And over time, those are all very strong. They go through the same bubble cycles as the price, but they're, they're strong. And so I don't know what, what year we're in, in in terms of the internet analogy, but as time goes on, the analogy will fray because this ecosystem is a, is a different thing than the internet. Just like the internet, whatever people compared that to uh, previous to that, it would have been its own, its own beast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that we are like one step away from like the AOL CDs or whatever you want. Like <laughs> there's, it's not going to be the same, but there's going to be something that it's like a, I don't know, it's a tweak on the, the current onboarding or it's, it's, it just like moves sort of how we look at this ecosystem and how a new person looks at this ecosystem and whatever that moment is, like I think that we're very close to it and that the infrastructure and the use cases and the general bigger user experience, like we're about ready. And just like, you know, the AOL CDs then got people into AOL and AOL was in no means perfect or super easy or anything like that's i think what we're sort of waiting for and i don't know it's impossible to say like what that sort of moment will be uh i think it'll be unexpected though we didn't have aol cds but if, all I, I always hear about it now really uh, what it was like 20 minutes on the internet or they were, they were everywhere they it was were... a cd that would get you set up with aol and it had like 30 days of free service mm -hmm. and after that uh... you're paying monthly but um I, I learned recently that AOL still makes $50 million of net income a month from their dial-up internet. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. I, I, I got to tell my parents to stop paying them. You have to look at, there's a Wikipedia article on these CDs, but it was like something like 75% of all CDs in existence at one point were these like AOL CDs. It was it, like oh, the man. numbers are just mind boggling. They were literally everywhere but what they did was it literally you know anyone that was like anyone that had a head put it in they know a cd put it in they're good 
with UX, though, one of the things I think about a lot, because there's so much about design, clicks, optimize, like all this kind of getting the person through, you can get them in, but what's going to make them stay? And like, that's how I think of user experience as well Is like, it's not entirely the clicks, which is a huge thing. But the reason why AOL was probably successful is it gave everyone the channel, the portal in, which is, you know, a CD, great, chuck it in business as usual. But there's this thing on the other side of the CD, which is adding tremendous value that you've never felt before. Same way, like, you know, Craigslist. I mean, there's been a Silicon Valley startup, Craigslist killer. There's 10 a year and Craigslist is still just a behemoth where you can like our UX, you can not like our UX. You're going to go to a lot of people still use it, just like Reddit, where mm-hmm. people come for the posts, stay for the comments. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I mean... The user experience is not the pretty buttons and and the font choices and the colors and those things are all nice and they're the icing on the cake. But the user experience is, what do I feel? What do I do? How do I do it? Where am I scared? Where do I run away? Where do I say I give up or I feel stupid? If we can overcome all of those things, then we're successful at UX. And I think what the AOLCD did was like, it sort of forced people down this path where they couldn't really screw up. Like you, if you put the CD in the computer, like, yeah, you can screw that up. But if you do that stuff successfully, like, <laughs> <Slide down>. yeah, <laughs> you know, then it walks you through this thing where you, you go, oh my God, that terrible sound happens. And then I remember it was like this little box would pop up and it would have like the news headlines it would categorize things so that you couldn't fuck it up like right yeah i I think we're being a little too generous to aol here because we're (laughs) we're looking at it through these rose-colored historical glasses but oh yeah to use that cd you had to buy a modem Uh, that was my next question spend a few hundred dollars on a on a modem and have like phone connectivity and a a computer Mm -hmm. that could use it there's all sorts of like pieces that they themselves were hard Mm -hmm. but that once you had them the CD allowed you to get to get in there. Right. And yeah. that's what I'm saying is like right now with crypto, I feel like we have enough people sort of working on the infrastructure. We have enough people that sort of have this modem or this internet, connect, like whatever it is, right? What we need is something to tie it all together so that when you put that CD in and you get this dashboard with the news and with your AOL instant messenger that has all of your buddies, because that's why I want AOL. Right. I didn't care about the news. I didn't care about the Internet. I wanted it because my friends at school Mm. were on AOL Instant Messenger. And if I wasn't on AOL Instant Messenger, then I was not cool. Like and I demanded, (laughs) demanded my like whatever 10 year old self. Mom, we need AOL. We need. need. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. But that's just I know Thomas says about and being conscious of time and stuff. But if you think about the reason hand-holding or like actually not hand-holding being authoritative in what to get started on don't make that person think like an analogy i've got like in a screenshot on my desktop was news entertainment sports blah 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 and the closest correlation i could see when doing things like that would be trading interest all these kind of similar channels of what in like what are you excited about you want to read the news you want to take out a loan like these correlations to like almost like a DeFi to these spoon fed categories Mm -hmm. it's not everything but it's sort of uh, idiot proofs it a bit in a sense yeah and like it might be like collectibles it might be some of these games that are being built but it's going to be like what or how do we get people to say i need that right well it won't be one thing yeah it'll be different things for different people 
Right, exactly. But what's, I mean, what are some of the Crypto kitties like for some, not Taylor. Yeah, not me. <laughs> this is perfect. Literally, my last question was, what do you think the catalyst will be? What do you think the actual killer dap will be? So uh, please continue. My picture is a little bleak there. I think the ultimate catalyst that causes the masses to switch into crypto is the next financial crisis, which is going to be extremely painful and upsetting for the whole world, which will shake people out of the habits that they're in will cause them to question money again, will cause them to question how finance works, and will cause them to be scared of the status quo that they've been comfortable in. That That is what's going to really flip the tide over into crypto. And I think it's on the crypto industry to prepare for that, whether that's in a year or 10 years. We have to make sure that our infrastructure and our systems are good enough to be ready to be there for the world when the systems they're using are falling apart. Mm-hmm. That's a great answer. Yeah, that, it is. I mean, great. it is bleak, but... We saw with the last sort of bull run in 2017, the, you know, a lot of people talk about ICOs and and they'll talk about it in terms of like capital allocation or it wasn't that it was it was the desire to get rich quick. It was feeding into the FOMO and the greed and these really fundamental human things that everyone shares. And so for me, there's success in that. There's value in that. As much as I hate it, as much as I hate the greed coming out, as much as I hate watching people capitalize on that greed and that FOMO and scam people and take their money and whatever, there's something about those promises that will trigger people very, very quickly without thought uh, and make people go through immense trouble to try to like get in. It helps It helps teach, right? Yeah. So of, uh-huh. the, yeah. of the people that were just get rich quickers that got in in 2017 and in the previous bubbles, some portion of them actually learned the technology and understood why it's right. important. And, and some portion of them actually stuck around and were like, oh, I came for the riches, but this is actually interesting and I'm going to learn about this stuff and use it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So there, there is value in that for yeah. sure. Yeah, I, it's, and totally it's agree. so... Like, it's frustrating, but it's like, yeah, that the promise of getting rich quick made people go through all of those hard steps. They made people dive deeper. The incentive was there. It was worth it, basically. Mm -hmm. And so whether the sort of incentive is not being screwed by the government and not being screwed by the banks and whatever the next sort of thing that let us screw you with our ico (laughs) (laughs) you know exactly like that's very very powerful and i do think that the the narrative of like everyone waiting for the next killer dap is a little bit flawed because it's not one killer dap and it's probably not daps at all it's going to be something that's much bigger and that feeds into these commonalities that all humans share, which is whether that's fear, whether that's greed, whether that's something else. Um, Self-interest. Yeah, exactly. That's that's great. Yeah. Man, holy smokes. Something's (laughs) coming. (laughs) I suppose on that, I'm the same. I mean, even look, I used to get into, you know, discussions about this with people at work. And it's like, even if I believe that, let's say Bitcoin's going to be the ultimate winner or Ethereum's going to be the ultimate winner, you can say, no, 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 don't look that way. Just keep looking this way and only that way. If I've backed my horse and I, if it's Bitcoin or if it's ETH, I want as many people as humanly possible trying to replicate it, trying to create awareness for their own thing. It's gateway drugs. Like, sure, okay, it makes it a very noisy playing field for a while. And yeah, people are going to pay their tuition getting burnt. But the reality is like, just like Eric said before, in a fiat market competing, a fiat currency competing in an open market, it's all fair game. And if it does come out that 
that's the best in class, then the tribe has spoken, so to speak. And I feel like that's what should happen with crypto. Give everyone their own channel in, whether it's, oh, I got in from DentaCoin because my dentist was just really progressive. <laughs> uh, you do you. And yet a lot of people are going to pay their tuition in that regard, which is obviously, you know, it's a bummer to see, but you usually learn the most when you are going to get burnt instead of feeling like you're a genius, which is what happened in a lot of 2017. Everyone could not be wrong crypto hedge funds, geniuses. Everyone's on like Wall Street Journal giving their opinion, their insight. Funds closed now, down, like, you know, all that sort of stuff is, the scariest thing for me is the illusion of skill, granting the illusion of skill to people, which is where in bull runs, everyone gets it because there is an element of skill to it, but it's mostly just the way the market's moving. So the probability blurs the line between what, you know, I did right as a person versus... Versus, like, you literally couldn't have done anything wrong. Literally, <laughs> like, yeah. If you buy you any coin, up. any coin in 2017, like, you would have won. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> the market is. If you sold them, I've got a bag of coins still here, so I'm um, trying to get rid of them, down 90%. Thank you very much for the advice, Thomas. <laughs> Don't give me to buy his dent coin all morning from him. Oh, <laughs> well, uh,. Thank you so much. Uh, I am so proud of this episode already. I just learned a, a ton uh, over the past hour, and I think our listeners will feel the same way. So thank you, Mike, for joining. Make sure you grab a extra chocolate croissant on the way out. God, this is I'm a slob. That's why he says that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Eric, you're a scholar and a gentleman. Thank you for making the time. Yeah, thanks really so much. appreciate it. Taylor, you are freaking awesome. Uh, so thanks for being yourself and thanks for being here. <laughs> thanks for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, Thomas. Cool. Uh, thanks for joining us today. To learn more about UX and crypto adoption, check out our guests and check out the show notes included in your podcast. And remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or The Wire blog, whatever works for you. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks again for listening.